0: I want to talk a little bit about worthwhile or worthless work. I want to start by talking about this place here. Anybody recognize that? Aside from my kids? (laughs) You know what it's called? Encore Wat, yes. Encore Wat. It is a huge, huge building. I don't know if you can see it very well, but these down here are people. Okay? People walking on this causeway here. Here's the outer wall. This is a moat down here. Uh, five spires here with the central spire. Okay, and you can see big jungle trees here. It's a huge, huge place. Okay, and it is. It's on the flag, the Cambodian flag. It's the national monument of Cambodia. Uh, it was built back in the 1100s, and it. Has more stone in it than all the pyramids of Giza combined. It's huge. It um, required thousands of workers to build it, and it's an impressive monument to showing incredible skill and organization and power. It shows the power of the Khmer Empire back in its heyday, back when it covered Thailand and Vietnam, went all the way to the border of Myanmar. It's on a must, it's on every must-see list of tourist places in Asia. And in 2019, it had 2.6 million tourists visiting it. Okay? And uh, a lot of them are Korean or Japanese or Chinese tour groups, and so they get all the same hats like that, so they can all identify each other. Uh, or they all have the same shirt and things like that. But you can, again, see how huge it is. And here's people up here on this platform up here. And then you go on in through this wall, and then this is further back still. It's a huge, huge place. And people gaze in awe at the uh, structure. It's got incredible frieze um, carvings on the walls. And if you ask people, many people would say, that is a monument worth building. Just look at it. It's huge. Now, how many of you have heard of Angkor Wat before this? Okay, good. A few hands. Okay. So, can you tell me who built it? Who? Genghis Khan? No. Okay. It was Khmer. Okay. Uh, Can you tell me what its purpose was? Okay, that's the Taj Mahal. Okay, the Taj Mahal is a tomb for a wife. Okay, that's that's in India. Okay, can you tell me to whom it was dedicated? Well, it was built by King Suryavaraman II. How many of you have heard of him? Well, okay. It was built as a temple dedicated to the Hindu god Vishnu. And after he died, a succeeding king decided to change it into a Buddhist temple and so removed all the, or most of the emblems that indicated that it was dedicated to Vishnu and put in Buddhist emblems. And today, many Cambodians believe it has always been a Buddhist temple. The temple fell into ruin and was used by just a handful of people for many, many years. The jungle kind of swallowed it up. And then in the 1860s, a French explorer rediscovered it in quotation marks. It had never really been lost, but it was not really well known either. He rediscovered it, and then the French started trying to do some restoration. And after massive work, which was halted during the Khmer Rouge era, I think in 2004, they said it's no longer on the endangered list of UNESCO heritage sites because of the restoration that has gone on, it's been doing, they've been doing a good job with the restoration. And most people who visit don't care who built it, and they don't care what its purpose was, all they want to do is go look at it and take selfies. <laughs> so tell me, what was the benefit to King Suryavarman II? in building this monument. What was the lasting be- benefit? Its purpose was changed after he died, and then the temple was forgotten. Most people don't care who built it. None of you even heard of him. And granted, you're half a world away, but people in Thailand haven't even heard of Suryavarman II. Um, it's being used for something he never intended to be used for, and it didn't keep his kingdom from becoming just a shadowy memory. So what was the lasting benefit in building this huge structure that took thousands of workers, many years? What was the lasting benefit? We're often like King the II. We invest our time, our energy, our intelligence, our creativity into monuments or projects or tasks that have no lasting benefit. Now these tasks or projects or monuments may look impressive and receive the applause and praise of people for a while, or at least until the next viral video comes out. And then everyone's forgotten about it. And so what is the lasting benefit? Well, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrestled with this question in the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Solomon begins by writing the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And the first words of this great book are vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Well, there's been debate among scholars over what exactly vanity means. For many years, they thought it meant worthless. Now they're saying it means passing or fleeting or like a breath and a vapor just disappearing quickly either way the proclamation is nothing lasts nothing lasts now he gives his main question for the book in verse 3 he says what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun that word advantage is a key word throughout the book. And he's exploring this question. What advantage, or sometimes it's translated profit, what is the profit that he gets from all his work which he does under the sun? Now, he goes on to elaborate on what he means. Verse 4, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. In other words, he's saying, nothing changes from one generation to the next. All our work has no impact. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, what about all the advances in technology? I mean, we didn't have computers back when Solomon lived, and now look, at we've put a man on the moon, we've got the Hubble Space Telescope, we've got computers, I can talk to people right around the world in an instant, we're going to have a conference with our co-workers tomorrow night, just boom, you know, we can talk with them. What do you mean nothing changes? Well, Let's keep looking. Verse five, he says, also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Has anyone changed the rising and setting of the sun? Oh, sorry, more scientifically, the spinning of the earth on its axis. Has anyone changed that? No. Look at the next one. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues, swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. Has anyone stopped the wind? No. It continues, just the way God ordained it to continue. Okay? Verse 7. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. We know this better than Solomon probably knew it back then. Today we've got the internet, and people can spend their whole day browsing the internet and never be satisfied with browsing the internet and never come to an end of all the information they can find on the internet. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. He goes on verse 9. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. And you go, wait a minute. Hubble Space Telescope? Solomon had what? He's not talking about necessarily creations, but more about what people do. Okay, keep looking. It says, so there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur for them. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. No matter what we do, the sun will still rise and set. The wind will still blow. The river still flow endlessly into the sea without filling it. Eyes will continually seek more sights. Ears will continually seek more info. Nothing is new. Nothing changes. No one remembers... And no one is remembered. I remember when I was a kid, we were singing in a drama in school. And one of the songs, the line went, Facts, 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 facts. We learn nothing but facts. And then it goes on to say, You tell us about kings and queens and how they lived and died. We learn nothing about uh, miners or peasants and how they suffered and cried. Okay, we learn about some kings and queens. We don't learn about all of them. And the vast majority of people have been forgotten. Think about that. From the beginning of the world until now, the vast majority of people that have lived have been completely forgotten. What difference does our life make? This is what Solomon is getting at. We long to do something significant with our lives. We want to invest ourselves in something worthwhile. There's a longing in our lives to leave a mark, to be remembered, at least by friends and family, for a little while. To have accomplished something with our lives that gives reason and meaning to our lives. We want to be able to say, this was my purpose in life. It was for this that I existed. Now some of you who are younger, maybe you aren't thinking that way yet. You're just thinking, I want to have a good time. Trust me, it'll come. And you'll reach a point in your life where you go, what have I done with my life? What am I going to do with my life? We take up pursuits. Maybe we just say, ah, it's worthless, and we pursue pleasure. Other people try to build monuments, like Surya Varman. And if we don't have the resources like a king like that, we still apply all of our resources to something. A business. A pedestal, something to leave our mark on society. Some people do it in the academic realm, maybe making new discoveries in science. Other people try to leave legacies for their uh, children that will be lasting a long time. Solomon explored all these options as well in chapter 2, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. But as you read through the chapter, you see that he tried all these things. And his conclusion about all of them was that they were pointless and worthless. In verse 11, he writes, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. There's that key word. What advantage? What profit? It says there was no profit under the sun. In verse 15, he says, Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die." In verse 18, he says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This, too, is vanity. We can't take it with us when we die. We leave it behind, and who knows what's going to happen to it. Just like this king left this great temple dedicated to Vishnu. The next king comes along and says, nah, I want this to be a temple for Buddha. And shortly after that, the temple falls into ruins. No one takes care of it. So what is the outcome? Are we destined to living futile lives, wasting our time, having no profit or advantage to our work, and in the end die with nothing to live for the life uh, nothing to show for the life we lived well solomon had an answer for that as well his answer is to find contentment fulfillment and happiness in the work that god has given us to do in chapter 2 verse 24 through 25 he says there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? And in the book, Solomon's conclusion is okay, there is no profit that we can earn, but the reward from God is contentment in the worship of God, the work of your hands, and the wife of your youth. And so His point is this, if you are searching for significance and meaning in life, it is found in being content and enjoying the worship of God, the work of your hands, and the wife of your youth. Now, this is a profound thought, and it's not one that is being taught in our society. We just celebrated Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, and the day after Thanksgiving is... Terrible. (laughs) Black Friday. Where everyone is told, get out there and buy stuff. And in fact, Black Friday no longer is limited to Friday. It starts before Thanksgiving and runs for weeks after. Christmas. Every year as Christians, we have to work to... Remind ourselves of the true meaning of Christmas because it's been hijacked into Santa Claus and presents and bye 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 Where did contentment go? We're like hamsters on the proverbial wheel we run and pursue and seek and strive and arrive nowhere And that's what Solomon is getting at. He says, be content and enjoy the worship of God, what we're doing here this morning, the work of your hands and the wife of your youth. Or, in the case of wives, the husband of your youth. Now you might be saying, is that it? Is that all there is to life? Is there nothing to which I can apply myself that will have a lasting impact? I'm glad you asked. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he didn't know everything. He never met Jesus. He never knew Jesus or knew about Jesus. Jesus had something Different to say. Turn with me to Matthew Chapter Six Matthew Chapter Six in verse thirty one we get the slide advancing here there we go Matthew chapter 6 verse 31 Jesus says do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things pause right there Jesus says don't worry about the everyday things that you need in life food clothing, shelter, things like that. The things that you need. He says the Gentiles, and in this context, the Gentiles are unbelievers, people who do not know God as their father. That's what they're pursuing with the Black Friday sales and everything else. Work, 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 work. And I'm not saying work is bad. Don't get that, okay? Work is ordained by God. Okay, And it is good to work. But if that becomes our goal in life, we've missed something. And what Jesus is saying, don't worry about all these things, because that's what the Gentiles are seeking. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then we can sing the chorus, Allelu, Alleluia. Seek first His kingdom. Set your heart and mind on God's agenda, not our own agenda. Set your heart on mind on what God is doing and not on what I'm trying to build. God is in the process of building his church, which is part of his kingdom. And we can either be a part of that, or we can try to build our own kingdoms. And when we build our own kingdoms, we end up like Varman and Solomon saying, vanity of vanities all is vanity there's no profit there's no advantage now we might think okay who is this well this is for pastors and missionaries and people in full-time christian ministry right well who's jesus talking to this is the sermon on the mount right His disciples came to him, and then there were many other people there as well. He's talking to ordinary, everyday people. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you've been to Awana, been through Awana, you're probably able to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. And We know this. Our salvation comes from God. It's not a result of works, so no one can boast. But we often forget verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're prepared for good works. God has prepared good works for us to do that we would and he prepared them beforehand so that we would walk in them. Who is he talking to? Well, the book of Ephesians was not written to pastors and missionaries and people in full-time Christian service. It was written to everyday, ordinary saints at Ephesus. And he says, God has prepared good works for us to do. Well, what sort of works? Well, as you go through the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, he says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What's he talking about? Godliness. Godly lives. That is a work that God has called us to do. And it's part of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. So this I say and affirm together to the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Okay, so there's the contrast. We are to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called and not like the Gentiles in the futility of their mind darkened in their understanding callous, sensuality, impurity, greediness live godly lives you go, what? is that a work? is that a work for God? yes it is In our work, at home, at school, with our friends, wherever we may be, God calls us to the good work of living lives that honor him, lives of holiness, different from the world around us. By living godly lives, we are bearing witness that God exists, and we are helping demonstrate the contrast between holiness and godlessness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. The building up of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What? This is talking about is the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. He's given individual people spiritual gifts for what purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Each of us has a spiritual gift, and we are to use it to help build one another up. This is a work of God. Not everybody... Is a pastor. Not everybody is a missionary, but everybody has a spiritual gift that they are to use for building up one another in godliness. When you show up to church on Sunday and are eager and ready to worship the Lord, your attitude affects those around you and helps them be eager and ready to worship the Lord. When you comfort those who are grieving with the comfort that God has given you, you are using your spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6. It says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Praying for one another, that is a work of God. That's part of seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. When we pray for one another, we are doing the work of the Lord. When we pray for people to be strengthened, to be obedient, to trust God, to be godly, we are doing the work of the Lord. When we pray for missionaries, pastors, and evangelists, we are entering into their work, engaging in spiritual warfare on their behalf and serving the Lord. I mentioned earlier, please pray that Cambodians would have a fear of God. When you pray for that, you are entering into the work in Cambodia. You are joining hands with God and with us there in Cambodia. We have feet on the ground. You can have spiritual feet on the ground by praying for the work there in Cambodia. Paul goes on to say, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador and change, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When we share the gospel, we are doing the work of God. And we are building into the lives of people. When people trust Christ as Savior, they receive eternal life. And their life as a follower of God will last through all eternity. And that is a monument that lasts far longer than Angkor Wat, or the pyramids, or the Taj Mahal, or any other monument made by man. Now, is there anything that I've listed here that ordinary people working ordinary jobs, living ordinary lives, cannot do. Anything? It takes no special talent to live a godly life. It takes no great intellect to pray for one another. It takes no special training to share the gospel with other people. It does not require moving to the ends of the earth or leaving your family behind to do these things. These are things that we are to do through our daily lives. Now, I'm going to embarrass a couple of people here. I see this taking place in the lives of people here in this church. I've seen it over the years. Graham has his own business to support his family, works hard at his business. And for the last, I don't know how many years, more than 20 years, he's been teaching the adult Sunday school class here at church he's been an elder here at church helping shape and direct this church involved in the decision-making of this church his life has been a part of the legacy of this church is he a pastor well he is an elder and he has a pastor's heart and he's been doing the work of a pastor but he's not In professional Christian ministry Carmen back there has worked as in construction for all your life but in working in construction he has also been involved in this church he's been involved in people's lives he has taken opportunities to share the gospel I got a chance to work with him while I was in seminary, and we would listen to the radio, sermons on the radio while we're working and bearing testimony. His impact in my life has been tremendous. All of that is the work of the Lord. All of that is the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to do, and it doesn't require you to be a pastor to do it. There's an old gentleman in a church in Roanoke that regularly takes young men from the church out for a breakfast and sits with them and talks with them, mentors them, disciples them. And many of them have gone on to some of them to ministry and others to be godly servants in their church. That's the work of the Lord. Now Solomon said vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit is there, advantage is there to the things that we work for? The Apostle Paul had an answer. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, and who is he speaking to? Corinthian believers, not pastors. Not missionaries, not evangelists, not people in full time Christian ministry. He's talking to everyday, ordinary believers. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. If we invest our lives in seeking God's kingdom, in doing the work of the Lord, spending our creativity, our energy, our resources in doing god's work all the money that we earn from our jobs and stuff like that if we're using that to free up our time provide for our family yes but using it to free up our time using it to uh, help us work and do the work of the lord our labor is not in vain in the lord And it leaves a legacy, a monument that will last forever. Let me encourage you with this. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your labor, is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the challenge and encouragement from your word. It's very easy to get distracted, to begin thinking of the things that might be fun, that might be interesting. And they may not be wrong, but they are distracting from doing your work. Help us to abound in your work. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Trusting you to take care of our needs. Help us to use our resources for your work. laying up our treasure in heaven. And we trust that all of our work laid at your feet is not in vain. Give us a vision, a heart, and a life focus to follow you in these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.